Well, good morning, church. Did you guys hear the sleet hitting the uh, tin roof just a second ago? That means I could preach a long time today. I'm Scott Weatherford. Welcome to First Baptist. I'm really excited. Guys, remember Wednesday's Valentine's Day? Just heads up. I know you said, well, we got married. I told her I loved her. Don't need to say it again. Yes, you do. So from Pastor Scott, don't be an idiot. Okay? All right. So just to help you out. Isn't that good advice, Dan? You can tweet that out. Pastor Scott said, don't be an idiot by Valentine's stuff. Don't do that, Dan. Don't. Dan, welcome back from sabbatical. We missed you. So uh, we're glad you're back. <clears throat> As the Nigerians say, my eyes have been hungry to see you, which sounds creepy, but it's, it's, that's good. So um, this is an exciting weekend. Uh, tonight at 5 I'm going to help clear up some things that you may have been confused about. Like we talk about reading your Bible and praying and having a time with the Lord. What does that mean? What does it really mean to grow in Christ? So tonight, I'm going to be teaching on that, demystifying, giving you some tools, some skills that you can really start enjoying quality time with Jesus. Would that be helpful? Because some of you think, I've been doing this wrong. Well, when it comes to Jesus, you really can't do much wrong because he's correcting your wrongness. But uh, we're going to give you some skills tonight. So at five, you can come. We'll have a good time tonight together at five. Also, guys, let me remind you about the 22nd gathering of guys. And I'll talk to you more about that in the days ahead. So on the 22nd of February, we're going to do that. But now we're going to continue this very difficult series, Restoring Hope. And we've talked about a lot of things. Last week, we talked about uh, go and sin no more, about sexual sin. And somebody took my rock. So I don't know who it was, but you can have it. Just don't use it, all right? If you took the rock, do not throw it at anybody. You might want to keep that wherever you have it. But I thought last week was a very powerful, uh, powerful time we had. And today, I thought back to the time I wrote this title down in my notes, Hope from Being Sinned Against. And at this point, I was going, what was I thinking? Why do I want to open up this Pandora's box of just hurt? Why in the world would I want to talk about the very things that may have defined some of you and defiled some of you? And the reason is, is that I love you. And some things that in the church we don't talk about, we ought to talk about, and we're going to talk about it today. But we're going to talk about it in a way that brings hope and, re and redemption and help, and, and you're going to leave here today uh, with a great burden, I hope, relief from you because God loves you. I have a dear friend of mine. In fact, he's my counselor. His name's Dr. Shuford Davis. He, uh, I met him in college. He was our, our campus minister in college and I formed a friendship with him that's extended all these years, these, these five years since I've been out of college. <clears throat> he actually did mine and Tara's premarital counseling and he gave the best advice ever. He looked at me, he said, marry Tara before she changes her mind. So I did that quickly. And of course, uh, 36 years later, uh, we celebrated the 38th anniversary of our first date Friday night. And we celebrated it. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. We, I spared no expense. I took her to Panera Bread. I said, get anything you want. So it was, it was awesome. And uh, in fact, she's home today. On Friday, we, we celebrated by going to the doctor and getting flu shots. So that, because you're old, that's what you do. 
Uh, I'm like a rhinoceros. They gave it to me. I didn't feel it. No effects. Now she's suffering side effects from the flu shot. So she's at home in bed and I'm taking such great care of her cooking and cleaning and <laughs> singing songs to her. Actually, she's held up in our bedroom and told me to stay out. So it's all good. She only comes out for the soup. I managed to open the can and pour it in and heat it up. So it's all good at our house. Hopefully she'll be better by tomorrow. We're counting on it. But my friend, Shuford Davis, my Christian counselor, I think a pastor ought to have some, some relationships. I think they need a counselor because ministry's tough and, and pastors need counselors. We got some retired ministers in our congregation and I've talked to one of them today. He agreed. He said, that's something I didn't have. I wish I did have. Um, pastor needs an accountant, needs a lawyer, <laughs> and, uh, and need, uh, they need um, something else too. Accountant, lawyer, probate judge, um, <laughs> counselor. Shuford's been my counselor, and Shuford said something one time that stuck in my heart. He said, do you want it all from Jesus? Do you want your sins forgiven? And do you want your sin against forgiven? Sin against forgiven. Do you want it all from Jesus? When I first heard that, I really didn't understand what it was meaning. Like it kind of rattled around in my head. I thought, sin against, like, What's that? But over the years of ministry and dealing with broken people and the experience of my own brokenness, I understand this. I now understand what it means to have it all from Jesus. You see, I've sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. Haven't you? At my best, I'm a mess. Turn to your neighbor and say that. At my best, I'm a mess. Will you do that? Yeah, some of y'all... So we said right back at you, Jack, you know, yeah. We're, most of us are dumpster fires. I've, I've also been wounded by the actions of others. I've had people say things and do things. That, and my wounding really started in childhood. It extends even to today. Some people are mean. Did you know that? Some people are just evil. Some people are careless. And in their carelessness, they say things and do things unintended that, that are wounding. Some people are just flat out evil. So how do you deal with those? In fact, I, I read a book not too long ago about dealing with evil people. And uh, it was written by a Christian. And I thought, wow, because you really don't think about that. Even though people are evil, nobody's beyond the redemption of Jesus Christ. There's no evil that God cannot defeat and has defeated on the cross. What I've discovered is this, hurt people hurt people. When I was a kid, there was a little dog that got hit in front of my house. And, and I, I love animals. And I was going out to, to pick up this little dog and try to get some help because it wasn't dead. And my dad said, don't touch that dog. I said, why not, dad? He said, that dog will bite you. I said, why would that dog bite me? I'm going out to help. He said, it's wounded. It doesn't know you're helping and it will bite you because it's hurt. And I realize the same thing with people. Oftentimes we're bit by people because they're hurt and they're wounded. And when you try to help, they bite because hurt people hurt people. And throughout scripture, we read stories of broken people, people that have been hurt. Some of them have smashed themselves against the rock of their own sinful rebellion. While others have been dashed upon the rocks of other people's carelessness or evil our meanness, but still, I want it all from Jesus. 
is I need hope. I need power for forgiveness of my sins and the power to forgive those who sinned against me. You see, when we're sinned against, there's a breaking deep inside of us. We're created to be loved by God. That's why God created you. You know God created you to love you? And his creation to love you, he wants you to love in return. Every one of you in this room are supposed to be great lovers. Great lovers. Not in the creepy sense that our world throws it in, but the awesome sense that God has designed for us to give our hearts and lives away, to be great lovers, to be great indulgers, to celebrate each other. Tara's got the flu, so yesterday I had the responsibility of representing us at our daughter's birthday brunch. She turned 30 this week, so it's kind of amazing that I have a 30-year-old daughter. She's awesome. She's probably watching online and loving the fact that I'm announcing her age today. But Gigi, that's Tara, that's her grandma name. Gigi wasn't able to go. So I got to go and indulge my grandkids. I did. And we went to a very famous restaurant called Cracker Barrel. And uh, Cracker Barrel has a store. Did y'all know that? That when you go into Cracker Barrel, they got all this stuff that you don't need at prices you can't afford. And little Ivy, my two and a half year old granddaughter, she says, Papa, Papa, will you buy me a toy? And of course the answer is, yes, of course I'm gonna buy her a toy. In fact, she probably didn't ask me. I probably broached the subject. In fact, I play a game with her and I'm, I'm teaching you this game. I'll take, a, I'll take anything smaller, I'll take a bill out and I'll say, guess a number between one and 12 because that's where it's the uh, minted, uh, the, 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 the uh, federal treasury have a, where they print money, 12 places in the United States. And there's a number up in the uh, kind of the top left-hand corner of the bill between 1 and 12. And if you guess the number, you get the bill. Anybody want to play? <laughs> Rick's looking at me. He wants to play. Rick, guess the number. Five. Katie guessed five real quick. I'm sorry, it's six, so you don't get it. That's great. Yeah, you're going to say six. Yeah, likely story. Yeah, liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay. But I played that game with her. Of course, she didn't understand. I say, say six, say six. So I bought her an Elsa cape. Do y'all know who Elsa is? Let it go, let it go. Yeah, and a crown and a scepter and I put it on her. And it was more than 10 bucks. I didn't care, it's Papa. And uh, she wore it all day. And, and I got full attention because Gigi wasn't there. I got full attention. Usually I'm just the leftover. And I got to indulge her because why? I was created to love. And she's created to be loved and loved in return. And when I left, she cried, hot tears. Papa, I love you. I want to go to your house. Papa, I love you. And I know it's because I've indulged her. And I'm good with that. It's no problem there. But there's something that happens when we're not loved. When there's, a, there's evil or abuse or neglect or other manifestations of sin that are thrust upon us and it just brings so much damage. Early in my ministry, I came face to face with this. I was a student pastor for a long time. It seems like a, forever, 11 years. And I was at a church where I did music and youth. Terrible combination. I had 100 voices in my choir, had 250 kids in my youth ministry. And part of our youth ministry 
we, uh, we ministered to kids from the Baptist Children's Home. And most of those kids were there because of childhood sexual abuse. It had about 30 of those kids. And I came face to face with the evils there. As a young man, 20 in my middle, early and middle 20s, dealing with the, the manner of, of just evil that was propagated against these kids. And I, I saw the damage. And my heart still breaks for the damage to those little ones. In recent days, we've been aware, made aware of levels of abuse that has just well, shocked and saddened us all. A physician who stepped out of bounds and did what he did to these little girls. And actually 240 came to light. In reality, you probably can add a zero to the number of girls that he has done this to. The Me Too movement has been launched where people are coming forward, brave men and women coming forward admitting that they have been abused and neglected and people are being held accountable while the boorish behavior of men is humiliating. But there comes a time when society has to stand up. We've also watched in horror as 13 children that were held captive by their parents and now released because one brave child escaped. And the way I love my kids, the way I love my grandkids, I can't imagine the realities of that sin and evil. It's sad. But it moves beyond the headlines. It moves into our homes, moves into our hearts, and moves to our lives. I remember being bullied as a child because of my glasses or my size or, or just whatever. Instead of enduring the bullying, I started fighting. In seventh grade, I was in 21 fights. And that's not good when your dad's the principal. <laughs> not good at all. I experienced the Board of Education on a numerous times. And I'm sure every one of you can recall something that's been said or done to you that even stings today. And as I talk about this, stuff's coming up. And I'm sorry, but not sorry. Because today's a day to get it all from Jesus. Today's the day to find healing in his hands. The abuse you're enduring or have endured is devastating. And you're, st you're staggering through life. Others of you, the pain of your past has led to all kinds of dysfunctions. Your own bad behavior, your own sinfulness is brought about because of the long-term effects of sin against. Your addictions, your depression, your confusion, your poor decision-making are often results of not dealing appropriately with being sinned against. And you've been marked by it. And is there hope? Yeah, there is. Hope is Jesus. Because he longs to heal you. He longs to redeem you. He longs to restore your hope. This morning, I'm going to tell you the account of a historical figure named Joseph, who's not only in the pages of Scripture, but he's in the Chronicles of Egyptian history. This is not a story that's been made up or myth or legend that's been passed down as some people believe the Bible is full of. It's not. The Bible is full of accuracies. And the story of Joseph shows us a young man that was sinned against by his own family. Can you believe it? Resounding answers, yeah, I can believe it. But we're gonna look at how God has done some things in his life and I wanna give you some skills today that help you walk out of here and be free and find hope, hope restored. Y'all ready for this? 
Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you'll speak through me, that you'll customize this talk to those that are listening, either here in this auditorium or online, that you'll speak in such a way that brings your power because we want it all from you, Jesus. We want forgiveness of our sins and we want forgiveness for being sinned against. So help us, Jesus, now. I pray this in your name. Amen. You can take out your study guides and take the weekend with you notes. I think you're going to want to jot some things down. I want to remind you of the resources we provided for you. Online, we have group um, videos that you can watch that'll go a little deeper into this being said against topic this week. Also, there's a five-day devotional that goes along with this as well that gives even a deeper look for you to take time personally in scripture readings and go with this. And it's all available online. Next week, we start a new series, which I'm very excited about. It's Hope Renewed. And we're going to be talking about the attributes of God, how he loves us and how he provides for us and how he's present with us and how he, he, he comes through for us. And then coming up to Easter, I'm going to preach a very important message. Is there hope for eternity? So I hope you'll, I've been writing about that. I'm excited about the things I get to tell you about the hereafter. You know, I spend a lot of times these days thinking about the hereafter. I walk into a room and I wonder what I'm hereafter. So that was not as funny as I thought it was going to be. Anyway, but let me tell you the story of Joseph. Joseph found in Genesis chapter 37 to 50, takes up a big chunk of the book of Genesis. And the, the story of Joseph is just unbelievable. Joseph was born in a dysfunctional blended family. Now, when you think about the Bible, you don't think about blended families. You think about, you know, everything's kind of, well, this is what we do. We think about the Bible and the flatness of literature instead of the fullness of reality. We see these people as flat figures on a page instead of the reality of who they were and how they lived. And I want to bring that alive to you. I want to be like a pop-up book where you, you see it all in the three-dimensional reality. Joseph was born in a whacked-out family. His daddy, named Jacob, and his Jacob means deceiver. His daddy's name was liar, deceiver. He married four women at one time. Is that cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? But it gets better. Two of them were sisters. He's married to sisters. One of them was prettier than the other one. So no girl rivalry there, right? Also, each one of them had a handmaid, so he married them as well. And he had 13 kids by these four women. Joseph, I mean, Joseph was the favored one of Jacob. Out of all these kids, because Joseph was the daughter, or was the son, rather, of the, of the woman who was the most beautiful, Rebecca, his first love. Um, actually, Rachel. And that was his first love. Uh, Rebecca was the first smoker in the Bible. The Bible says she lit off on her camel. <laughs> That's so bad. Okay. So she was the favorite wife and he was the favorite son. So daddy did the thing that's awesome to do. He showed marked favoritism for one kid over the other one. Now, some of you grew up in a family like that. In fact, when, when I've dealt with professional athletes, that often they were the favorite child because they could buy houses for the parents. And everybody else was kind of the underlings and the less fortunate. But um, 
He was the favorite, and he was a marked favoritism. Now, this is what he did. Dad, not only did dad dote on him and, and make him the favorite, and ever all the other brothers knew it, and they hated him, so he decided to take it a step further, so he gave him a coat of many colors. And the coat, the robe of many colors, was a sign that he was the favorite. And the many colors has many symbolism about it. Actually, it's a prophecy. When I was in seminary, we had to write 21 comparisons between Jesus and Joseph. It's an interesting test question, and I'll never forget it. I actually passed it. But in that, that, that covering with the robe, now get this, the robe is literally what Jesus gives to us when we come to salvation. He covers us with the robe of righteousness. And so the covering of Joseph in this multicolored robe was a foreshadowing of what God does to every one of us when we come to Christ. He covers us with his robe, the robe of righteousness. So Joseph got this robe, his brothers hate him, and then Joseph is a dreamer. Joseph's tremendously gifted in administration, a great manager, a great leader, a great mind for these things, but also a dreamer. And Joseph lacked the good sense other than to tell his brothers his dream. And his dreams were prophecies about his future. And Joseph told his brothers on two occasions, one day you're gonna bow down and worship me. That's just stupid, y'all. I mean, I could tell my brothers, I got two older brothers that say, hey, David, Stan, one day y'all gonna bow down and worship me. They go, whatever, loser. And so with this prophecy in hand, you know what his brothers decide to do? Because they're so functional and healthy, they're gonna kill him. We're gonna make sure this doesn't happen. We're gonna kill him. So they plotted together to kill their brother. Is this crazy or what? This could be East Texas, y'all. Actually, more accurately, Northwest Florida, where I'm from, where there's real rednecks. That's where I'm from. And they, they plotted to kill him. So dad sent Joseph out to check on the brothers and he went down to Dothan, which is just a kind of uh, South Alabama area. Dothan, Alabama. Y'all, I was born in Op, Alabama, which is close to Dothan. They were gonna name it Opportunity. They got as far as OPP, couldn't spell the rest. So they called it Op. So that was funny in the first service. You guys don't get that. And so the, he goes down and he finds his brothers. Their brothers see him coming and they say, Hey, here's our chance. Here comes that dreamer. And so they plot to kill him. They said, we're going to kill him. Uh, we'll dispose of his body. We'll dip his, coat, his, his uh, garment in blood. We'll go back and take the garment back, his coat, robe back, and say, Dad, we got eaten by a wild beast, and he's gone. And, <clears throat> you know, so he's dead. And, and, you know, so we'll end his dreamer. But God was in all of that mess. Listen to me. God is always in the middle of your mess. And so he comes up and Reuben, his oldest brother, has a change of heart and goes, yeah, we ought not to kill him. And so Reuben said, why don't we just throw him in this pit? And Reuben had a plan to come back and rescue him out of the pit and return him to his father. And so they, yeah, okay, we'll throw him in the pit. We'll decide what we'll do. And then Reuben went off and left Joseph there. And the Ishmaelites came by. Now, the Ishmaelites were the descendants of Ishmael, which is the, the uncle of, of um, Jacob, and uh, actually the great, great uncle of Jacob. And uh, the Ishmaelites come along. They were also called the Nebuchadnezzar, and they, they settled a place called Petra, really a cool spot. Uh, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, P 
Petra. That's Petra. Anyway, I've been there a few times. But uh, they were they were coming up and they were taking a caravan to Egypt, and they they came by and they said, "Hey, let's just sell him as a slave. Let's make some cash off of him." So they sold their brother into slavery. This is cuckoo. And so Joseph gets sold. Reuben comes back and goes, "Where's Joseph?" So oh, we sold him. We just saved his coat. So they dipped it in sheep's blood, went back, told their dad that Joseph was dead. Dad mourned and mourned and mourned. In fact, it almost killed him. And Joseph was sold into slavery to a guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar had him and the Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. He's a slave in this house and he becomes the chief administrator running all all the whole household. He's in charge of everything because he has this great gift of administration that came from the Lord. And Potiphar's wife thinks Joseph is a hunk of hunk of burning Hebrew. And she starts making moves on him and Joseph's going, no, I'm good. No, thanks. It's not good. I'm not going to do this evil. Now, wait a second. He watched his dad, the perv of pervs, have sex with four different women. I mean, he should have said, hey, you know, fair game. Let's go. But no. See, something was different about Joseph. And that something was someone. That's the Lord God. He said, I'm not good. Finally, this woman falsely accused him. So Joseph had a me too movement moment. And then he was convicted, thrown into prison. In prison, he starts interpreting dreams. Those dreams come true. He languishes in prison because the guys, he got out of prison. One of them was killed. One of them got out. And the other one uh, that got out said, I'm going to remember you. And he forgets. And then two years laying in prison. Finally, the Pharaoh has a dream. And the Pharaoh's cupbearer says, hey, I know a guy that can answer your dream. And um, he said, okay. And he brought Joseph and Joseph interpreted a dream. Pharaoh was impressed. He put Joseph second in command of the most powerful nation in the world. He goes from the prison to the palace. And there he organizes and he says, there's going to be a famine. There's going to be plenty for seven years and famine for seven years. And he prepares the people and they store up food. And the famine hits and then his brothers show up to get food because Egypt was the only place they had food. And Joseph looked at him and he was already an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He dressed like Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. I mean, he did the whole deal. Y'all knew that was coming, didn't you? Walked like Egyptian. Anyway, he did all that and uh, they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them and he had a decision to make. I could restore or I can exact my revenge. So he kind of drug him through the briar patch a while. And then when he got all the family back, that's what he wanted. He wanted this restoration. He got all the family back and the brothers were there and he wept in front of them. And this is what he did. He now had on a, a garment of Egypt, a robe of royalty. And you remember that the Hebrew sign of covenant was circumcision. And Joseph, the Bible says in in the original Hebrew, he opens his robes and shows him who he is. I'm your brother, see? The intimacy and the vulnerability of pulling back the robe. And God restored a family. When the father died, when Jacob died, the brothers knew that Joseph was gonna take his revenge because they're just kind of waiting on dad to die and he was going to like kill them all. They went to him very humbly and said, hey buddy, we're sorry, blah, blah, blah. He said, listen, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, 
God meant for good. So here's some lessons from the life of Joseph. I'm gonna write these down. First of all, Joseph grew up in a bed of dysfunction, but he did not let his dysfunction, dysfunction define him. You may have come from a family that was just a dumpster fire of a mess, but your family doesn't define you. Your God defines you. Your relationship with him defines you. Some of you have kids that have made decisions and you're going, we didn't raise them that way. But I'll tell you something. Your kids do not belong to you. They belong to God. Do not get your spiritual vitality from the behavior of your children. Teenagers, you're listening to me today. Don't make decisions today that you'll regret in your future. And that's exactly what Sean's going to be talking about over the next few days and weeks with you guys. In fact, I'm going to get a chance to talk to you parents as well next Sunday afternoon. I'm looking forward to that. Joseph refused to be defined by his abuse. You are not defined by your circumstances. You're defined by your God. It's like you're not defined by your family. You're defined by your God. You look at the circumstance of your life and we know that God loves to make victors out of victims. He doesn't leave you as victims. Paul said it this way, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. In fact, the word more than is really super conquerors. You're a superhero through God's love. That he loves to make you a victor instead of a victim. Earlier in that same passage, he says this, for God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love him, called according to his purposes. And so how often we get captivated by our abuse instead of liberated by our God. And he wants you to be liberated. And you're saying to me, Scott, you have no idea. You've not endured what I've endured. And that's probably true, I haven't. But I know it's touched my family. There's people in my family who are now in their grave that the knowledge of their abuse went to their grave, went to their grave with them. And only after their death did people have the courage to step out and said, this happened to me. This happened to me. And as much as I would like to dig them up and burn them, that is not my call. My call is to love and embrace the ones who had the courage to respond. So what do you do? Well, I think the best place to go for instructions to Jesus is the best place. Wouldn't you agree? The creator, the master, the one who created you gives you the best plan on what you do when you're sinned against. So in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and following, Jesus gives us a pattern of what to do. I want to read that passage to you that pulls some thoughts out of it. Let me read. It'll be up on the screen for you. If your brother sins against you, Notice the word if. It doesn't say when. It says if. Because there's a portion of self-examination that you have to go through. Have I really been sinned against? Is this something of my imagination? Now you said, no, no, no. This has been a physical act. I know I've been sinned against. Okay, 
that you've got a case or this has been, maybe somebody has just said something that they didn't really mean and that needs to be confronted. Maybe they didn't sin against you. Maybe you're just sensitive and you had your feelings hurt. For example, Dan says to me, Scott, you're an idiot. And I'm offended. Dan, you've sinned against me. No, Dan said, no, I've just identified you. He's not sinned against me. But I could go to Dan and make it right. Or I could languish in my, my woe and I could go to Scott and to Wyatt and to Melinda and Jonathan. I'd say, Dan says I'm an idiot. He's awful. The problem is they're going to agree with Dan. So I can deal with this or I can, be, I can form an I've been done wrong support group that just makes everything worse. Let me say something to you. If you're married and you get in a fight with your spouse, don't go tell your mama. Because you'll go home and bakey-uppy, kissy-kissy, everything's happy, and mama's mad for the next 50 years. Are y'all with me? Keep mama and daddy out of your marriage. Y'all got that? Can we get our amen slide to flash up real quick? That deserves an amen. We got this cool slide. Look at this. Amen. All right? Awesome. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. Go in private. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother back. If you drug ever people into it, you've created drama. If he listens to you, you've gained him back. But if he does not listen, then you go to other people. Hey, this happened. What do you think? And then they can affirm it. And then they can go and take two or three others that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, then, then tell it to the church. Now, it's really interesting. This is before Jesus has established the church in Acts chapter 2. So the word here, church, is really the word ecclesia, are the ones who are assembled together for loving relationships to one another. And so in our context, it wouldn't be this body. It'd be your group, your small group, your life group, your group, your Sunday morning group, your, your whatever during the week group. It'd be your group. You take it to your group. Take it to the people you're in relationship with. And you win the back. If they refuse to listen even to the church or the ecclesia that gather together, then let it be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What does that mean? Jesus loved Gentiles. He spoke to a Gentile woman, woman at Sychar, was a Samaritan, he spoke to her. Another Gentile, a Canaanite woman, he spoke to her. He, he dined with Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector and one of his disciples. Matthew didn't stay a tax collector, he became a disciple. So it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Matthew finished well. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you don't let these people in the deep places of your heart. You honor them from a distance. Now, most of the time, pastors stop there. But I want to go a little further because I think there's truth here. Truly, I say to you, it's the same thought. Whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. and Whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. But what does that mean? It means this. What you permit is what you're going to get. Jesus will allow you to live in the dysfunction or he will set you free. What you permit is what you get. And every decision becomes a destiny. And I'm not going to permit to live in the power of the control of being sinned against. I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to quit being identified by my abuse and I'm going to be identified by my Savior. And then it goes on. Again, I say to you, this is awesome. If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, 
It'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. So what does that mean? I'm going to say to Tara, Tara, let's choose today under the authority of God for us not to be identified by the abuse we experienced as a child or as a young adult or even the sin. Let's choose today to be identified by our great God. And she goes, I'm in, Bubba. And God says, done. Done. Dan and I come to each other. Hey, buddy, I'm going to love you till I'm dead. After that, you're on your own. He goes, done. God says, done. In fact, I've told that to Dan already. Till I'm dead. After that, you're on your own. Okay, you got it? If you die before I do, you sing at my funeral, okay? All right? And if, you, if I die before you do, wait, if you die before I do, I'll bury you. That's it. I'll do your funeral. You sing at my funeral. Is that a deal? Okay. And if Scott Tidwell goes, we'll hire somebody. All right, good. But that's that unconditional commitment. It's the power of the blessing. Agree together. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with you. We're two or three together. So we're tearing out together. Get this. We get to have church. Whoo! You go to the married couples retreat, I'll teach you more about that, okay? But that's the, pro- the power of community. That's what God gives us. Hey, you guys, as your teenagers, if y'all gain together, so this is how we're gonna live. Done. 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 There's some guys in our church who've been buddies since they were junior high. Done. Agree together, right? Done. Malcolm told me. Done. It's the goodness of God putting people together and for life. And it's the power over the hold of being sinned against. You see, when you go in private, sin has to be exposed. You can't let sin go uncovered. Evil grows best in the dark. If we don't expose sin, then sin wins. If we don't expose sin, then sin wins. If you've been abused, then expose it. I want you to listen to this. Whatever the light reveals, the light can heal. And Jesus is in the light. We sang this great new song today. And I regretted I didn't have a voice to sing that because it's a great song. Jonathan, we need to do that again. It says, there's no shadow because whatever the light reveals, the light can heal. And let the light of God's love shine on your circumstances and let the healing power of God come and bring healing to your life. And so you expose the sin. Go to fix it. Go to figure it out. Fixing it might mean consequences. Exposing evil protects other people from evil. We have a legal system that holds people accountable to protect others from predators. You can't be afraid to go let it, bring it out. You say, well, Scott, if I bring this out, it's gonna cause an uproar in my family. There has been an uproar in your family. Fix it. If I bring this out, it's just gonna drag up a bunch of hurt. You can't heal hurt unless it's shrug out. Whatever the light reveals, the light can heal. Well, Scott, you, you say to me, I've got this stuff, I've got this marriage, I've got these things, and what am I going to do with this? You keep trying, you keep loving, you keep letting God set you free. 
It's not how you start, it's how you finish. What if someone's just plain out divisive? Just stirs up controversy, just loves drama. Do y'all know anybody who loves drama? I mean, you just love it. And you go, no, I don't know anybody who loves drama. It's you. <laughs> what do you do with that? This is what Paul said to Pastor Titus. As for a person who stirs up division or drama, after warning them once and then, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Titus 3.10. Whoa. Y'all, I've been a pastor a long time. And there's been occasions where I had to pull church members in and say to them, okay, guys, we're not having a Matthew 18 conversation now. We're having a Titus 3.10 conversation. Some of y'all didn't even know that was in there. And that means you're causing division and it's going to stop because what you permit is what you get. And we're, not gonna, we're so loving and good here, we're not going to allow you to create division and drama in this church. And we're warning you. Warning you once, warning you twice. After that, you need to find another church. That's hard. Because I love people. I'll tell you something, y'all. There are three kinds of people in this world. There's sheep, there's wolves, and there's sheep dogs. You know what a sheep dog does? Protects the flock. Protects the flock. I got that from the movie American Sniper. I said, that'll preach right there. So it just did. What if we were a church of sheepdogs? That the vulnerable among us can find help and hope. And that the evil among us have no place to hide. And they can be redeemed by the love of a great God. You see, we're to be people of restoration. Safe people. Why? Because we are the covered ones. We're the ones who have the robes of righteousness. When you gave your heart to Christ, it's what he did. He put his robe on you. He took his righteousness off himself and he put it on you. Put it on you. And you're covered by God. That's when I talked to you about peanut M&Ms. They're actually a theological tool. That candy shell is the covering of God inside the chocolate, which is the grace of God, which is inside the peanut, which is you. It's covered you. That's why in my office, there's a bowl of peanut M&Ms. Everything preaches, y'all. Okay. So to understand that you've been covered by God. Now listen to me. Listen to me. You walk in this door today and you got your shame on. You got your abuse. You got your hurt. You got your drama. You got your stuff. Put your robe on. Put your robe on. Hold your head up high and put your robe on. You are not the victim. You're the covering of God. God has covered you. Put your robe on. This is powerful symbolism. When Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden, God covered their nakedness with 
robes, animal skins, robes, because he is foreshadowing something has to give its life for you to be covered. And so on the cross, Christ gave his life that we might be covered. When the prodigal son came home, far off land, sinned against the father, he comes home. The daddy says, bring a robe to cover him from his filth, covered him with sonship. And at the end of the age, in the book of Revelation, we stand before God, the myriad upon myriad, clothed in garments, robes of righteousness, white as snow, dipped in the blood of the lamb. We are covered. Put your robe on. Hold your head up. You are not a victim. You're a victor through Christ who loves you. Put your robe on and live right. Your shame and your abuse are covered by God's mercy. So hold your head up. Put your robe on. Pastor John said it this way. If we walk in the light, as even he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus covers us, cleanses us from what? Say it out loud. How many is all? Done. Done. Because that is, I can love people. And we can be people that love people. I can bear each other's burdens, thus fulfill the law. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. That can bear with you. That's why you need a group. You cannot bear burdens by yourself. That's why you need a group. If you're not connected in a group, we want to help you. Tom Gillespie's in this room someplace. Tom, stand up, Tom, so they can see you. This guy right here gives his life to connect you into a group right there. Get yourself in a group. The best group in the world is my group, but that's a whole other thing, okay? They like having me from time to time. Defenders of the hurt that this is a safe place to be healed. Leveraging people, leveraging misery to ministry. Some of you have endured stuff that I had never imagined, but God wants you to leverage it. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Corinth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of comfort. I love what he says about the God of mercies the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves received or comforted by God. <clears throat> that we could be people of ministry. When you think about ministry in the church, you think about preaching, teaching, or singing. There's so much more. Church is not about something you do on Sundays. Church is about people we live with and love God together. It extends beyond that. I went to a conference once led by a famous TV preacher and he said, it's about the weekend. I, I stood up and said, no, it's not. I didn't get to go back. Because <laughs> it's not about it's us being family and living together and loving God. It's about us being the broken, the covered, the healed, the redeemed. It's about us living together. Some of you moved to Wimberley to hide. 
whatever the light reveals, the light can heal. Some of you are gathering in this room with anonymity. You look around and say, everybody else around me has got their act together. No, they're not. They're a smoldering dumpster fire too. Because we're the fellowship of the broken. And whatever the light reveals, the light can heal. And some of you have done things and said things or things have been said or done to you. And you said, I can never overcome this. That's just, I want to give you a theological word. That's baloney. It's not true. Well, I've been through this and I've been through that. Okay. Who carried you through it? What they meant for evil, God meant for good. So you could be in this time and this place right now and find healing in the hands of Jesus. I was a young student pastor. I took a group of kids to camp. And I sat on the end of a dock and I talked to a beautiful 12-year-old girl. She was physically mature behind her years. And she was from the children's home. And she started telling me her story. You see, her father had passed her around among his friends. And she said to me, Scott, is there any hope for me? No man's going to want to marry me. I don't have a future. My dad's in jail. I don't have a mom. Should he hope for me? I'll tell you something, seminary didn't get me ready for that, y'all. And I looked at her little face, her little eyes, and I said, baby, I'll tell you something. There's a God who loves you, who cares for you, and will carry you and redeem you and make you whole. And there's hope for you. And his name is Jesus. And that day she prayed with me on that dog to ask Christ into her life. And God healed her. She stayed in our ministry for a few years and then she aged out and I don't know what happened to her. I don't know. I know one day I'm going to see her again in heaven and she's going to tell me the incredible story of a life restored because hope was restored. I don't know what you've been through but I know there's a God who's gone through it with you. And he loves you. And he wants to heal you. Because healing's in the hands of Jesus.